This is Creating Utopia, the podcast, Ideas to Change the World, where we turn conversation into action. Thank you for joining. This episode is titled, Sam Harris, Free Will, and the Isolation Problem. I have to take the opportunity to start a Sam Harris-themed podcast with a little bit of my own input on the question of free will. There is nothing that Sam Harris has argued in this space that I can find a particular glaring hole in. That's a task for people with much more time, dedication, and education. Where his position breaks down for me a little bit, and from what I've heard, where anyone really tries to argue is always at the fringes, the the very wrinkles. And what I'm going to do is just explain why it's so difficult to accept the seeming paradox in the fringes of his thesis. Just to summarize as best as I can, Sam Harris will tell you that due to a combination of randomness, genetics, experience, and chance, you are in no position to truly understand why you are making the choices you do. Therefore, you cannot really make a choice in the moment you were a hostage to all of the factors that led to this next decision. Why you make that decision is a mystery to you, although you can confabulate a reason afterward. But in some way, the decision has been made by who you were prior to the moment of choice. Now, as I said, I'm on board with this, but there is a problem worth mentioning here. And the problem is that we really do feel like we have free will. Sam can point to the fact that through introspection, the illusion of the self can drop away, and therefore the, f- the feeling of free will can drop away with it. And okay, sure, but that's also a feeling. That's a state of mind or being, and it's not permanent. We also sleep. I'm not going to pretend like there is much feeling of free will in our decision-making while we sleep. But in the alert, problem-solving state of consciousness that most of us are living in most of the time, the feeling of being able to make choices in this life is relatively universal. Even if we grant that we had a robot who could reliably predict with 100% accuracy what you are going to choose before you do, as Sam has pointed out is a possibility, some kind of minority report future, this effectively proves that the sense of free will is an illusion. I still think even with that knowledge operating on our system, human beings will still feel like we have free will. This is important, and every time Sam gets asked a question regarding this, this is where the the paradox comes up, he'll give you an answer that seems to contradict his position. He'll say, of course, intentions matter, and the choices you're making are important and will direct you along different paths throughout this life. And it seems to me that people are taking this contradiction to suggest that we really do have free will. So the the out-of-the-box thought here that I think can help clarify the free will conundrum a little bit 
And it would be great for Sam Harris to just acknowledge this because of how influential he's been in the area. But a recognition of the reality of the feeling of free will and how important that is. I, I get it. When you search for the answer as to why you chose Titanic and not The Wizard of Oz, to use the movie choice analogy, the feeling of free will goes away to some degree. But when you make the choice, I can't see how anyone at that moment really felt they weren't free to pick whatever they wanted. This can't be ignored or forgotten. Just because we have some sort of knowledge that we really don't have free will. There is no separation between you and the quote-unquote you that is making these decisions without your conscious knowledge. I think the fact that we can consider decisions, debate their answers, play the outcomes out in our minds to a reasonable degree is the center of the bullseye here. Although we might not be responsible for who we are, why we, we seem to be born preferring chocolate over vanilla, and although we never will understand why in the moment we might choose vanilla over chocolate, we can still stop and think about it and consider it. And if we don't get ice cream at all, the fact that we are not responsible doesn't negate that we can build patterns into our way of thinking. We can rewire our brains. We can influence our subconscious decisions and ultimately our actions. We do have a reasonable level of control over the outcome of our lives, regardless of whether or not free will exists. This is important to point out, and regardless of whether or not Sam Harris is right or wrong, or if you think Sam Harris is right or wrong, our conscious experience is important to recognize, dignify, and only then can we create an environment where operating optimally is possible, regardless of the knowledge that we have. So this is as good of a place as any to segue over to the main topic of this week's podcast, the problem of isolation both physically and mentally. Each of us is isolated to some degree, and this may seem like a strange place to start, and even stranger, Sam Harris providing a unique opportunity to elaborate on this point, but I think the opportunity is comparable to the opportunity we all have to overcome this issue to some degree. For the first time in human history, we have built a truly planetary civilization. There is a percentage of the population who has the ability to travel anywhere in the world at any time. There is an even greater percentage, thanks to the internet, that has the ability to access the entirety of human civilizational history, and they can communicate with individuals living anywhere in the world at any time. We are all living through this, and the process isn't over yet. From a historical perspective, it really just started. No matter how intelligent you are, how well-studied or well-traveled, how many friends you have, acquaintances, family members, no matter how far up the ladder of experience, connection, and information you can climb, there will always be people who live in this world whom you simply aren't in a position to understand. 
This isn't to say we can't understand each other at all. What it means is that there are those living lives so far removed from our own that their thoughts, ideas, motivations, projects, hopes, and dreams could potentially not be farther away from those of our own. This is true from an individual standpoint as well as at a societal level. Sam Harris is no doubt one of the most thoughtful public figures today, unafraid to touch on sensitive subjects, and he's rightfully become prominent because of this. Whether you agree with him, like him, or disagree and don't like him, we should at least see an example of a certain problem that plagues every one of us, and this is that no matter how hard we try, there will always be perspectives that we can't really understand. We haven't experienced them. And we're not going to understand how those experiences might change the way someone else is thinking about any certain subject. So the topics that Sam Harris is concerned with are certainly worth taking note of. The potential dangers of artificial intelligence, the consequences of religiosity, the empowerment of moderate Muslims, what I personally admire about Sam is that when communicating, you can see that there is an attempt to consider subjects from every angle, every possible imaginable side. And when it comes to the philosophical thought, I can't think of anyone right now who's more clear and more persuasive based solely on rationale. But now that he's endeavored into public policy, it's become evident that there are certain perspectives that, due to factors beyond any of our control, have caused him to become, for lack of a better word, closed. And I'll illustrate this with two examples, which the first is going to tie into last week's episode, where I mentioned the opportunities we're missing to unite with allies, due to our insistence on absolute agreement. First, in the 2018 conversation with Russell Brand, there was a critical moment where I feel the two of them, they were on the verge of a breakthrough that came as quickly as it left. Russell had pressed him for quite some time about why Sam is so concerned about Islam. And finally, somewhat angrily, Sam replied, asking, why aren't you as concerned about the well-being of little girls as I am? Russell says he is. On the surface, who could argue with that? But upon closer examination, you can see, and Sam could see, that the other claims Russell is making regarding cultural relativism show that he simply can't be as concerned as Sam. Now, Russell's response, when he challenges Sam right back, asking him, why aren't you concerned with the ultimate power of the state? Why aren't you concerned with the real problem. This is where I feel if we could wind back the clock and intervene, the outcome could have been drastically different. If Sam were willing to pause and consider this perspective in which he is patently unfamiliar, just a little bit closer. To his credit, he does say, I am concerned about that, but then he quickly went back to defend his position and press Russell to abandon his regarding Islam. Let's just recognize what happened there. We had both parties acknowledge each other's claims and even say they agree. But again, where there's room for improvement and who knows where this conversation could have led, 
is for the two of them, and I put the onus on Sam a bit more, I'm being willing to admit that your perspective is limited. No matter how hard you try, it will be difficult to appreciate where someone who has been a drug addict, a movie star, and now a hopeful revolutionary might be coming from with their ideas. And if you were willing to pause and seriously consider what was being said, I think Sam could have learned something important about why there are so many who seem to be on board with rational ideas and could be a fan of his. Let's take Ben Shapiro's audience. But then when it comes to an important moment where there are, as there's a certain type of empathy required, I can see how Sam Harris loses these people. Ironically, while spending time trying to show Russell that his perspective regarding women's rights in radical Islamic countries was limited, he missed the fact that his own perspective is limited in recognizing that the majority of the population is waking up to the notion that some aspects of our world need serious adjustment. As a byproduct of addressing some of the root societal issues, perhaps some of the problems with, say, organized religious communities in general will improve naturally from within. Which brings us to the final segment, How to Create Utopia. And this week, the concept here I'm going to bring up is something that I hope to communicate over and over and over again. It's one of the root ideas that has motivated me for half a decade now. We create utopia simply by coming together. What I mean here is that we need to recognize that we are all isolated in a certain sense. There is a culture or a person we don't understand. And there are people we don't even know exist. There, there are limits to what we can know and claim to know. So in order to create utopia, we're going to first have to try to expose ourselves to as many ideas as possible, even the ones you disagree with. More importantly, however, if we all try to realize that we don't have a full picture ourselves, we can see that those we disagree with, we can work with. Because of course they don't have a clear picture either. We're seeing it happen right now. It's happening slowly, but Sam Harris needs to recognize that he has allies with so many more than just Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin. And so do we. I'm going to end a little differently here with a tease for the next episode and with that second example I referenced earlier. The next episode is solely regarding the first conversation between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. Again, we create utopia by doing what these two are doing now. They can see that they disagree on fundamental axiomatic levels on a wide range of topics. They also can see they have overlap in their causes and concerns. And while not exactly aligned, it's become obvious that they can see in each other that collaboration is the best way to move forward. Perhaps this is due to Jordan's age, their combined life experience. Or maybe where Jordan grew up. Shout out to Alberta, Canada. But he is certainly willing to communicate with those he disagrees with. Next week, I plan to tackle a fundamental issue in Peterson's thinking that's plagued me since I was introduced to him. But for this week, 
let's all appreciate how much easier and frankly beneficial it is to come together rather than stay isolated. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creating Utopia. Follow me on Twitter at creating underscore utopia. And make sure to ask questions, comment. I'll make every effort to reply to them all. Next week's episode will be, as I mentioned, on Jordan Peterson. <laughs>